Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S.com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaken. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. Megan, let's do our... Gregory. Gregory. I have the raccoon bones today. I have the sack. All right, with our crystals. You're bringing us a case today, and I'm super excited for that. Before we get started, though, I met a lovely young girl named Maddie at a... I went to a trivia night at our local bowling alley. Oh, fun. And I happened to sit at... She sat at the same table, and after I said my name, she's like, this is going to be so weird, but... Are you crime curious, Charnel? Yes. I, like, I am. You're, we're celebrities sometimes. Yeah, Don't like, you love I it? I listen to you. I love your podcast. So shout out to Maddie because Hi, Maddie. I had a great time doing trivia with her. And then we have to give cute little Mary a shout out. We've talked about her before because she was the one who was sitting alone at a restaurant and was almost committed because yes. she had her Bluetooth hearing aid She in. did, and they thought she was having conversations with herself. Yes. Well, she turns out that she's actually a strong volunteer at um, my children's school, and she was taking tickets to our kids' basketball game the other night, and I said hello to her, as I always do, and she's like, we've got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> she showed me her phone. She was listening to us of while course. she's taking tickets. Mary, you, you know, you are a true fan. She is. Walking she's, around with her Bluetooth, listening to Crime Curious. Yeah, but we love her too. So, And awesome. she's a Patreon as well. So just shout out. I encountered those people this week and we love you. Thank you all for listening. It's just so sweet when when I can feel people loving the podcast and we're you know, keeping victims' memories alive here on earth and telling their story and... I don't know. Just yeah, we've had a ton of messages on social media too. So you guys yeah. keep reaching out. Um, I try to get back with you. We try to get back with you as quick mm-hmm. as we can on uh, Messenger, on Facebook, um, and some of your shares have just been funny. Yes, yes. So we got a lot of love uh, for our two hundredth episode. We did. Yes, thank you all very much for that. We so this really is going to be what two hundred one. It is in 202. And 202. I'm keeping the two first for 200 for a little bit. I love it. And this is your first two-parter. This is my, yes, it is. This is my first. So this is one of the cases that I've been telling you about that I've been uh, deep diving on Mm -hmm. and kept taking breaks from. So let me, let me jump right in. First of all, without giving away too many details, this is a highly publicized case. Oh, okay. And Charnel and I tend to do lesser known cases, but I, 
I wanted to cover this one and I wanted to cover it because there's some interesting stuff happening soon on it. Oh, wonderful. So let me just start. And some of our listeners are going to know as soon as I say these names and jump in. But um, this case is the third most highly covered case by Dateline. It is second only to the O.J. Simpson trial and the John Benet Ramsey case. Really? I knew John Benet would be up For there. sure, right? <laughs> yep. So there's a mini series that stars Renee Zellweger. I watched it. I got a little information from it in terms of sources, but I'm just going to let you know now. I don't like um, kind of sensationalized reports. Uh, reporting with yep. those miniseries. I know some of you do check it out if you like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I made it through one or two episodes and went, nah, I got to find something more technical than this. I just don't, I just don't enjoy it. Yeah, it wasn't vibing with you. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't care for those dramatized uh, documentaries. So I'm going to give you um, one that, uh, again, you guys are going to know. And I'm just going to title it uh, The Death of uh, Betsy Faria and Louis Gumpenberger. Okay. So jumping right in, I want to talk to you about friendship. I want to talk to you about two friends, friends that have worked together and become close. Work friends turned life friends. Is that, this our life story? It's uh, God. No, I hope I not. Oh uh, my God. But we can identify with the whole work friend thing, yeah, right? Turned into life friends. Absolutely. Yes. These two friends are Betsy Faria and Pam Hupp. And I want to tell you a little bit about these women and their friendship. So Pam Hupp was... Oh, fuck. It just hit me. It did. I know the case. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm so glad you're doing this from your perspective. I am. I like... Okay. Wonderful. So Pam Hupp was born in Missouri on October 10th, 1958 in the middle class Catholic St. Louis suburb of Delwood. She attended Riverview Gardens High School. She reportedly had a normal childhood upbringing. Mama was a school teacher. Dad was a union man. And she was the third of four children. I've already learned more from all the other things I've learned on this than right in those sentences. I dove up nice. to my toes nice in job, this friend. case. Yep. Her, as I indicated, um, mom and dad are just, they're a typical American family, right? Mm-hmm. There's a three kids or four kids in the house and, and she's the third. In 2011, at the time that I'm presenting this case to you, Pam was 53 years old. She was the epitome of a white suburban middle-class mom. Think soccer mom, right? Yeah. She had the blonde bobbed hair, the turtleneck, and was a coupon-toting penny pincher, right? <laughs> yes, You got the love coupons it. in your purse, always out to, mm-hmm. to save money. Possibly a Starbucks in her hand. Obvi- mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In this case, I believe it was a, a big, cult, big gulp or like a 32-ounce uh, okay. pop. Pam's normal childhood was riding bikes with friends, Christmas caroling in the winter, and Pam as a high school student, we can resound with this, right, Mm -hmm. was the pretty blonde on the pom-pom squad with the infectious laugh. Okay. Her friends described her as a little boy crazy and always ready for a fun time. She got mediocre grades, but generally she was an all-American girl. By senior year, that boy craziness accidentally led to her soccer team boyfriend and her getting pregnant after prom. Sure. As it does. Yep. They had a shotgun Catholic wedding because that is what good girls do yes, when yes. they get themselves or they are placed in that situation. Yeah. We're not condoning that here. <laughs> we aren't. Being knocked up does not mean you have to be married it, to. It does not. No. It is 2023. That's, right. That's not for you. That's okay. So when all of her high school friends went off to college, Pam gave birth to her daughter, Sarah. Mm-hmm. That marriage lasted six years before ending in divorce. Shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
It was contentious. There were many child support issues where Pam would take her ex-husband to court and he would have to show proof of canceled checks to prove that he had actually paid child support that she was taking him to court for. Oh, no. Yeah. So she marries um, Mark Hupp soon after their divorce. Mark was a quiet guy. He actually had played minor league baseball for the Texas Rangers. No shit. He did. And when he didn't get drafted, that's when he began his career as a carpenter. Pam gave birth to their baby boy, Travis, and they moved to Naples, Florida in 1989. Because who wouldn't move from Missouri to Naples, Absolutely. Florida? Absolutely. Right? Literally <laughs> misery to Florida. Right. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get right. it. Her dad, unfortunately, died in 2001, and they ended up moving back to Missouri to a town called O'Fallon. And this is all in the greater St. Louis area. Yeah. These are suburbs. They did some side work flipping houses for extra cash, and the side work actually turned into a little business. I can't recall the name that they uh, named it right off the bat, but Mark's a carpenter, and so it's like a she's Chip good and with money. Situation. Yeah, yes, kind of, yeah. absolutely. When she moved back, people noticed she was less exuberant than in her youth. You know, time, age, and children will do that to you. Yeah, same girl. She didn't end up reconnecting with old friends, and she really didn't make any new ones either. She was an active, I'm sorry, she was active in the women's club at her Catholic church, however, and she sent her kids to that same Catholic grade school that uh, she volunteered at through a church. Pam worked for a couple of relatively low-paying insurance jobs, but ended up filing for disability because she reported that she had chronic pain issues. There's some accidents that she claimed to have suffered. Um, There's not a lot to show that those actually had occurred. But, you know, can you picture the mom who probably just kind of wants to stay at home, but in Pam's case, it might be be soul pain. Yeah. She had lots of excuses as to why she didn't or couldn't keep her insurance jobs. But ultimately, it was discovered she was fired um, from at least her last one, if not two insurance jobs, for forging signatures. Whoopsie. Yeah. Something something you just can't do in any industry, Mm -hmm. but the insurance one specifically, you're (laughs) dealing with money here. Definitely. Yeah. She was, however, as I indicated, very financially money-driven. She was always out to, to make a buck, to save a buck. Right. She was apparently lonely and relatively friendless at this point in time. So this is where... Betsy Faria comes in. Yeah, this is a recipe for disaster. Well, Pam met Betsy at her first insurance job when she returned to Missouri. Pam was working in a clerical job at a local state farm office, and Betsy was the first person she met there. Betsy was, well, Betsy was your typical Midwestern girl. Yeah. She had the big hair, bubbly, huge, big personality, sweet disposition, and was kind of scatterbrained. So maybe Mm -hmm. don't want to call her an airhead, but a little bit scatterbrained. Mostly she was just a sweetheart. Right. She was younger than Pam by 11 years when they first met. So that at that point in time, she was 32 years old. Okay. She was described as looking like a greeting card illustration with a round face, curly hair, pink cheeks, and beautiful bright blue eyes. I love that description because it really does match her. That's beautiful. A greeting card illustration. A greeting card illustration. Cherubic, right? Yes. And apparently she held a gig as a part-time DJ and was described as being able to coax anyone to the dance floor. I never knew that. Oh, that's awesome. Elizabeth Betsy, uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth Betsy K. Meyer Faria was born in Richmond Heights, St. Louis, Missouri to Kenneth Meyer and Janet Meyer on March 24th of 1969. And at the time of these events, she was 42 years old. She had three sisters, Mary, Julie, and Pamela. Betsy also had two teenage daughters from a prior relationship at this time. 
Now, she met her husband when she was working at a gas station because she was focusing on her DJ career for her business that she called Party Starters. Like, love it. Don't you yeah. want to hire Betsy to come do your graduation party? Yes, and get your party started. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Betsy was the life of the party and outgoing, as you probably could have interpreted from my previous description of her. She actually asked Russ out. Russell um, is uh, her husband, which I'll get to in a minute, but he's called Russ. She asked him out first, and their first date was at a local casino. <laughs> like, what a good idea. Yeah. He helped her complete a computerized playlist for her DJ business. I'm assuming this is when the love kicked in. She's like, oh, oh definitely. Right? She and Russell Scott Faria were married in 2000, and they lived together in Troy, Missouri, and raised her two daughters together. They went camping often played volleyball. She was very active playing tennis. Betsy was outdoorsy. People describe her as she was an active lady. She was a member of the Morning Star Methodist Church in Garden Prairie, where she worked in the youth ministry, volunteering by delivering meals to a local women's shelter as well. So she really kept herself busy. Sounds like she had an amazing heart. She did. She did. And I think anybody who knew her uh, would say the same. After she and Russ were married, Betsy went back to work in the insurance field where she had worked previously, and this is where she met Pam. Mm -hmm. These two friends were almost an unlikely pair. While Pam did like to party and have a good time, at least she did when she was younger, she came across as more mature and logical, and she was described by a boss, a co-worker there, as clearly underemployed. So just too smart to be working in the job that she was in. Sure. We all know those people, right? Yeah. You know, she'd gone back into the workforce after, I believe, being a stay-at-home mom and doing some side jobs and was just doing a job that was a little beneath her. Right. But doesn't really seem to have motivation to better herself into another one. Okay. So a former manager said, Pam was a positive, level-headed person. She was never mad. And he described her as, quote-unquote, seeing the bigger picture and being adept at office politics. Hmm. Whereas Betsy was the friendly, bubbly office personality that can make every day at work feel like a good time. Yeah. We can name these employees right now, right? As Betsy and Pam's friendship was almost instant and progressed, some issues came up at work. So Mike Beauchart was the manager at that agency. He's the one I quoted a moment ago. He started taking note of just some bizarre reports. And take this for what it's worth because it's a little, it was even a little bit hard to understand as described. But one time an employee came in and told him, Pam, and another person in the office that she felt bad about not disclosing that she had got insurance money for a new roof. And then she didn't even put one on. So, oh, you know, something's okay. wrong with your roof, yeah. you get the money, get and the then money you don't actually it. put the roof on. I see. And then in which case, if you don't do that, then and something really bad happens to your roof, well, they won't Well, here's the again. really bad. So two months later, they got a letter from a guy who bought her house mm-hmm. asking if that was true, that she had never put the new roof on with the insurance money. He said he'd gotten a letter on Beauchert's letterhead, and it was signed. Beauchert doesn't recall sending a letter. Uh-oh. They also reported that um, some employees' cars at State Farm were getting keyed. And so were some cars in Pamela Hupp's neighborhood. And this was bizarre because the neighborhood was described as kind of a veritable Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of suburb. So that's weird. Wherever she is, cars are getting keyed. Cars are getting keyed. I don't know if, you know, people might be mad at her or was it her? I mean, just Uh, we're we're speculating throwing those things out there. Seems awful coincidental. It is. And then some other weird things happen. So the Hups, uh, Pam and Mark, were described as kind of those neighbors that keep to themselves. But then in the same 
breath. Uh, it's described that Mark was quiet but friendly. He did some deer hunting. He helped neighbors with typical neighborly things. You can picture him now. Maybe a little bit like your husband, right? For he's, sure. He's not going to walk over there and initiate conversation. But if they're like, Matt, can you please help oh, me with this? He's right there. He's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pam was described as being a bit more of a gossip. Um, she was described as a Butinsky, which I call a Karen. Yes. Now, you know? Yes. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like if there was a neighbor squabble, she wanted to know what was going on and she wanted yes. to be a part of it. Yes. 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 Yeah, so, I had a friend once tell me that she doesn't like to be a part of the drama, but she likes to know all the details of it. Oh, uh, we know like, those oh, neighbors. Okay, Their yeah, noses yeah. are pressed to the picture glass yes. window in the right. front. They're, they're the watching one, everything. Right. They're the ones vacuuming their front yard. Yeah. I love it. All of a sudden they're on the phone. They're they're like, Mary, do you see what's happening yes. in front of the, the Charnel and Matt house? Yep. <laughs> do you exactly. see what's happening out there? Exactly. This is her. For the most part, though, Pam only socialized with her family at, at this point, um, up until she met Betsy, befriended her. Hmm. Now, some neighbors look back and they think about some random things that occurred in their neighborhood. And this is weird, okay? <laughs> okay. There was a pile of bloody animal bones left in someone's yard. Stop it. So. What? Well, obviously, somebody didn't mow their yard correctly. I feel like this is like your husband's like, how dare you not mow with lines? On diagonal. I'm going to leave these bones in the front of your house. He would never do that. He wouldn't, but I could see him (laughs) fantasizing a little bit. Like, do they realize that they just mowed it the same way? Yes, three times in a row correct. that is not good for their grass <laughs> or how about this one <laughs> there are also some very mean anonymous letters that were sent to neighbors oh, can you Passive picture it aggressive. now cutting out the letters in the magazines and Ooh. gluing them to the piece of paper oh, shit. Yeah. i don't have the patience for that no i i don't yeah. know my reaction to getting a mean anonymous letter would probably be to blow it up poster size and put it in my front yard yes. on a stake yes, you know create exactly. a moat yep. uh, around my house i love it Oh, my God. Yeah. So after getting fired from the state farm job, and I, we think we know why now, right? I've just kind of indicated there was this this forgery um, that, yeah. that happened. I, I think that came back on Pam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Pam lost touch with Betsy for a few years. So I don't know that they were as close as people thought they were at that point in time. I think she was truly at that point kind of just a work friend. And then when you lose the job, you don't work there anymore. You aren't as close to the friends from there right. anymore. And that's happened with me. There's people sure. who I love, but I really only communicate with them a couple times a year now yeah. that I, I used to work well, with. People come into our life for a reason at certain points and, yeah. then, you know, and then go out. It ebbs and flows. Absolutely. So by 2010, Pam Hupp had actually stopped working, and this is when she's claiming disability benefits for her for back, leg, and neck pain. Mm, back, leg, and neck. Yeah, Oof. I mean, it's just, it doesn't get any, any worse. It's like mm-hmm. almost all the appendages. I didn't see an arm or shoulder on there, but I mean, I'm sure. They it's because she got approved for the back, I'm leg, sure they and hurt. neck. <laughs> she didn't need to add those in. Well, in January of 2010, which is around the same time that Pam stops working, Betsy finds out she has breast cancer. Okay. Pam got in touch with her after she found out to offer her support, which is is good. I would do that with any friend who, if I found that out. Betsy's dad, Ken Meyer, asked Betsy the summer after her diagnosis about her finances and providing for her daughters Mm -hmm. in case of a bad outcome. This is a typical daddy response, right? Yeah, I mean, we just have to think of all possible avenues here and be prepared. Well, even Betsy, she had expressed to her dad she was worried that her two teenage daughters would spend the money foolishly and was afraid her husband, Russ, would just kind of piss it away. Oh, right. So right. I think there was maybe some responsibility and there were some issues, which we're going to get to. 
Ken reported that Betsy had asked him to come to one of her cancer treatments. Um, But when he got there, her friend Pam was there to support her. So they didn't really talk. At least he wasn't going to talk openly in front of Pam. Mm -hmm. Um, And Pam started taking her friend Betsy to all of her cancer appointments. Yeah. In 2011, Betsy received exciting news and it looked like she had beaten the cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. She and Russ planned, I love this, a celebration of life cruise for November of 2011. Oh, awesome. And they invited their closest friends and family to come on this cruise to celebrate. The month before the cruise in October of 2011, Betsy was devastated to learn that her cancer had reoccurred and it had metastasized to her liver. Okay. So she's, she's got kind of a, a terminal diagnosis at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, still fighting, though. They went on the cruise anyway. Yes. And she swam with the dolphins to fulfill her bucket list item. Uh, yes. You're getting me. Yeah. I know. Now, Pam wasn't actually part of the group that went on the cruise. Um, but when Betsy returned, she continued to spend almost every day with her friend. It was on December 22nd that Betsy went to play tennis as she was still feeling good. And Pam went to watch her play. So this woman is going to have chemo. She's sitting through cancer treatments. You know how that makes you feel. But on her good days, she was still outdoorsy. Living her best cherubic, life. living her best. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. Live like you were dying. Yeah. Uh, that, that song kind of thing. So the next day, uh, Pam and Betsy went to a library. And Betsy had a librarian witness her signature on a change of beneficiary form. She removed Russ and made her friend Pam her sole beneficiary on that policy. So I, again, will note there had been discussion before this that she did not trust Russ with those finances. If you recall the statements that Betsy's dad, Ken, made. So he other people in the family were concerned about this as well. Tuesday, December 27th, Pam arrived at Betsy's mom's apartment in Lake St. Louis to take Betsy to chemo as she usually would. Janet Meyer told Pam that, quote unquote, they had already gone. Well, Betsy had texted Pam earlier and told her that she didn't really need her help that day because her mom's friend, Bobby Wan, who was Betsy's former babysitter, actually, was in town and she was going to take her so they could spend time together. Okay. Pam stated that she had never received the text, but there was an indication that she did. And she actually replied to it and even said, bummer. Oh, Okay, so yeah, you did receive this text, you replied to it, Mm -hmm. and then you showed up anyway. And this is what happens. To Betsy's surprise, Pam shows up to the cancer center where she's retrieving her treatment and talking to Bobby. Because when you're sitting, if anybody's ever been through chemo or knows somebody who has, they're sitting there in a chair, there's usually a few people in the room, they put up curtains, but you're sitting there with an IV and you're getting your cancer treatment and somebody's there to talk to you. Some people read, some people sleep. Betsy's a talker, yeah. and she she always had somebody with her there uh, to talk to. Betsy had actually been staying with her mother over Christmas break, um, and Pam volunteered to drive her from her mom's after treatment to her own home in Troy. So she stays at the cancer center with Bobby and yeah. <laughs> and Betsy, even though she was not invited invited that day yes and then when they get back to um, Betsy's mom's she says well I can take you home because she had been staying there she being Betsy had been staying at her mom's for a few days over Christmas well on Tuesdays and this is the day of the cancer treatment Betsy's husband Russ would do game nights with friends Mm -hmm. Russ was going to pick his wife up but Pam offered to go and get her so she messaged her husband and said Pam wants to bring me home to my bed or home to bed. My white blood cells are low and I need rest. And then it continues with, I didn't get much sleep. Mom snored. Oh, 
So yeah. she's she's gonna she wants to sleep at this point. Yep. Russ verified with Pam that uh, she I'm sorry verified with Betsy that Pam would be dropping her off, and then Russ was happy then because he could go and do his regular thing and play his game night with friends. Right. Right. So Russ Faria. Russ is described as a sturdily built, plain spoken guy. He had a face that people say could either look friendly or tough, which I would say sure. was an oxymoron, but we know those guys. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. I actually feel like I also have that face. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but you don't have dark thinning hair and uh, wore a trademark fedora, but it would be cool if you did. <laughs> for sure. Well, can we not do the thinning part? No, we yeah. won't do that. But no? yeah, so he has dark thinning hair and almost always wore his trademark fedora. I can I picture it right now. I do too. There's just something classy about it. Or even a little naughty. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on your perspective and how you're feeling that day, I think. Well, it's true. Perception is everything. Russ was a simple kind of a guy. He enjoyed fishing and riding motorcycles. He was very close to his mom. Okay. And very close to his wife, Betsy, when they weren't having marriage turmoil, which sure. had happened a couple times in the relationship. And she is going through cancer treatments and has yeah. a bad diagnosis. So you this can only hard. imagine the stress, this right? This is hard. Mm-hmm. Russ went back to school during their marriage, and he obtained an IT job with a place called Enterprise Holdings. As was a typical Tuesday for Russ, he spent the day working from home until 5. Then he left, got gas at the Conoco in Troy, and called his mom at 5.22 p.m. to say he wouldn't have time to swing by for dinner, as he often would do. He promised he had promised Betsy that he would stop and pick up dog food, and he needed to buy cigarettes. So Russ stops at a convenience mart in Lake St. Louis at 5.56 p.m. and buys two bottles of Snapple. Do you remember Snapple? I do remember Snapple. Is Snapple that was still there? I, it is. I, oh, my it God. Is. I just have not picked one up I'm gonna in years. I'm going to buy a Snapple. Next time I come over, I'm giving a Snapple. Yeah, do people we'll go down still memory spike lane. those with vodka? I'm sure they do. Okay. Is that like putting a Jolly Rancher in your Zima, too? Yes. Okay. Yes. They make that still, too, by the way. It's mm-hmm. just harder to find. Yeah. So <laughs> so Russ stops to, to get his Snapples. He arrives to his friend's house at 6 p.m. So he then spends the evening at his friend Michael Corbin's house watching movies from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. So they usually played, the purpose of their game night was they played this D&D, so Dungeons and Dragons yep. style game called Rollmaster. But they were short a player that night. So they watched a couple movies instead. He reports they watched the new Conan the Barbarian and a movie called The Road, which they all thought was boring. So I don't think they watched the whole one. Right. They're just a bunch of... B- bros hanging out drinking beer probably or, or excuse me snapple yeah snapples well i don't think it was the beer because they also admit that they smoked a little pot oh okay yep snapples and weed yeah sure snapples snapples, sure, sure. snapples weed and cocaine cocaine <laughs> conan conan wow. there was no there was no snow <laughs> there was no, none of the devil sugar none of there. the devil sugar yeah <laughs> so let, let me clarify yes Snapple, Weed, and Conan, uh-huh. the, the, barbarian. the Barbarian. Also, good movie, by the way. Yeah, I love absolutely. all the Conans. Well, there's a lot of scantily dressed men, so I couldn't imagine oh, why. maybe. Hmm. I About- never put two and two together, <laughs> Megan, but you might well, have just hit it right on the nose. I just did perverse math for you. <laughs> My favorite kind of math. Mine it's too. the only math I like. The, oh, right. <laughs> I didn't major in math for a reason, but if that was the kind of... Could you imagine right. statistics class with instead of them giving you baseball stats, they gave you... Perverse statistics. Yep, I would. Or murder statistics. I, I would have learned so much more. Note to all of you math teachers <laughs> right. that some of us prefer those true crime and naughtiness yep. as preferring or over baseball stats. So anyway, he um, leaves about 9 p.m. 
and two other friends left at the same time. Russ stops at an Arby's in Lake St. Louis, orders two junior cheddar melts, and eight as he drives back the approximately 24.6 miles to Troy, where well, he lives. Weed. That weed. makes Arby's sound delicious. I was so I love that you said that already. He had, he had the munchies, man. Yeah, absolutely. Two I believe everything about this story because it's so specifically right on. Right? Like, <laughs> yep, I could, this tracks. Oh my. So, okay. So Russ gets home. Um, He... The dog's outside on a chain, so he lets the dog in. Mm-hmm. He puts the bag of dog food on the floor, takes off his jacket, steps in the living room, and this is where he finds Betsy. He states later that at first he thought maybe she was feeling sick, like and had gone down to the ground, and so he knelt down next to her, and then it registered to him that there was blood in her hair and pulling up all around her neck. And here's your uh, one of many trigger alerts. He saw a knife, the black-handled kitchen knives that they own, sticking out of her throat and saw that her wrists were slashed. So Mm. Betsy had been depressed before and had even attempted suicide before. I don't Mm. know if you knew this, but this is what Russ reports she'd had. And I think you see that those happy bubbly people who are suffering internally, but make everybody else happy. Yes. We see that often. Very often. Very often. And here she is going through. Yes. Horrific experience of end of, that's more than likely. More than likely it's terminal. It's, we've had a metastasization to the liver and we know when it gets that far, um, we've, she's probably staged out four at at the minimum, hopefully not five, but again, terminal. Mm -hmm. So Russ gets up off the floor knowing that his wife is dead Mm -hmm. and calls 911. There has been much controversy around Russ Faria, Mm -hmm. his actions and his reaction specifically regarding this 911 tape. Mm-hmm. So we don't always do this. I'm going to play the 911 tape and I'm going to play it in its entirety. Okay. It is 10 minutes long. Okay. One, if you don't want to listen to it, don't. Just no, skip through 10 minutes. You can minutes. skip. Mm-hmm. The other thing is if this type of thing bothers you and you get bothered by what you're going to hear here in a, in a second, um, skip ahead. The 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah. 10, 10 minutes. minutes. <laughs> that too. All right. Time is hard. Time is hard. I, you know, analog clocks. Lincoln County 911, what is the location of your emergency? Okay, ma'am. Hello? Hello? Yes, I need you to take a couple deep breaths so I can see what's going on. What is the address where you need to come? Okay, what, what is the telephone number you're calling from in case we get disconnected? Uh, I, I don't know this number. I know my cell phone number. Okay, what is that number? It's 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 zero four five six five nine two zero seven. Nine. I'm sorry. Repeat the last four. Nine two zero seven. Okay. Who am I speaking with? My name is Russell Faria. Russell, what's going on there? I just got home from a friend's house, and, and, and my wife my wife killed herself. Okay, Russell, I need you to calm down, honey, okay? I need you to calm down, take a couple deep breaths. We're going to get somebody on the way there, okay? (laughs) What what did she do? Do you know? (laughs) Okay, okay, calm down, honey. Is she breathing?
breathing at all? No. She is not breathing? No. Okay. Okay. Russell, is there anybody that we can call for you? Okay, Russell, take a couple deep breaths on, okay? Okay, what is your mom's name? I'm, I'm sorry, I can't understand you, hon. Lucy. Lucy? And what's your last name? How old is your wife? Well, she's, she's, she's 42. 32? 42. 42. 42. 42. Okay, and you're for sure she's not breathing right now? She's not even Okay. What is your mother's phone number? My phone number is 
Okay. It's, it's unlocked. It's unlocked. Okay, can you go meet him at the door? It's unlocked. It's unlocked. <laughs> Russell, are the officers inside with you now? Oh, my God. Okay, well, good luck to you, honey. I'm going to go ahead and hang up, and we're going to try to call your mom, okay? All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Thoughts? Hmm. Can you understand yeah. why there might have been some maybe controversy around the 911 call? Yes, and I always am cautious. Me too. About trying to gauge other people's reactions um, because we're all different. Yep. We all respond to trauma differently. Um and I, I almost think, not I almost, I do think that it's unfair for people to make judgments whether someone is too hysterical or too calm when I don't know, I've never, I've never walked in and saw my wife. That with, on the floor. Right, right. I have no idea how I would respond. And I, and I guess I would, I don't like it as humans that that is something that could be used against somebody in court is how they respond to trauma. I think I said a couple of um, episodes ago that I've heard thousands of 911 cases, mm-hmm. uh, tapes over the past 20 years mm-hmm. doing this job. I've run, it's run, runs the gambit. Mm-hmm. People respond interestingly. Um, it could be with hysterics like this. It could be with surprising calm. Um, or maybe even intermittent, you know, calm and, and hysteria. Sure. There are actually experts that you can call in, but you can't just take what you heard without listening to um, evidence that comes out in the 911 tape as well. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that stood out to you evidence-wise that he mentioned? Um. Well, I didn't you mention something about the dog? Didn't he yeah. let the dog off the chain? And then he said in the 911 call that the dog was chained up outside. So... It, it will, I don't know if it's going to come up later or not, um, but I do recall specifically from my research, at one point in time, it's alleged that there was some type of a, maybe even a paw print on her. Okay. And so the thought is that when he let the dog in, of course, what would a dog do? Right. It's going right to Owner it. on mm-hmm. the floor, bleeding. And so I believe um, that Russ let the dog back outside at some point. Okay. Um, but there, and we're going to get to timeframes here. There is not a significant delay in him calling 911. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to give you those timeframes from the time that he got home. I think what's important to take from the 911 tape other than, you know, Russ's reaction, which I'm going to leave to you guys at this point to decide whether this is, is genuine or not. Um, is that he did corroborate a couple things we already know. She had been at her mom's Mm -hmm. and her friend brought her home. Yep. And he indicates that he just got home. Yep. Okay. So those are important things mm-hmm. to know. Um, he does say, my wife killed herself. Yes. Right. And yep. indicates that she's struggling with cancer. There's a whole bunch of medications, in fact. Right. I like uh, the 911 operator. Maybe she waited a little long to ask the name of the victim. Thank you. I looked at you when she <laughs> finally know. did. I looked at you like, okay, thank you yeah. for finally doing that. And asking the question, is she beyond resuscitation? Yes. That was like seven and right. a half minutes in. I think not to, to be judgmental of her though, dealing with somebody, um, she's dealing with somebody who's in hysterics Hysterical. and you're trained mm-hmm. to deal with people in different ways. Giving him a task, go get his, her medication. I was going to point that out. That's yes. brilliant. That's yes. exactly what you're supposed to do. She was trying to, trying yeah. to keep him calm by giving him a task, giving him something to do. 
So I, oh, was I, there something else? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, because I was going to point out the um, the same thing that you did about that he and you know tells her at my wife committed suicide, and the reason that I think that is because okay, she's got injuries on her wrists, which in in a snap judgment, that's something that we go to right, but also it doesn't daunt, not everyone listens to true crime um, like we do guys. And a dead person means murder, right? Right. That is not something that a typical person would immediately think, especially if there's some sort of other signs that indicate that they may have taken their own life, like past things that he knew of her from her past. And having been depressed that yes. she has cancer and then the slit, he said her arms, it's it's obviously her wrists, which, yeah, okay. which I'll get yep. to. But again, that hysterics, Yeah, right? I think the most concerning thing is the knife in the neck. How yes. many people do you know when they commit suicide, stab themselves in the neck? Right, I don't know that I've ever seen a case study like that. Okay, yep. It, yep. And I, think, I think this is why we get what we get from from this next part. So um, this is going to be incredibly, graphic if the um 911 tape didn't upset you enough and you are sensitive to these type of things you're going to want to skip ahead again when first responders arrived betsy's body was already cold and stiff blood was coagulated on her scalp and was already dried hard on her wrists only wet in the deeper pools so in the deeper uh cuts okay Okay. All right. This had been a significant amount of time that had passed. Them. So both a fire captain and an EMS supervisor came to a conclusion that Betsy had died more than an hour before they responded. Mm-hmm. One might say, why do we have an EMS supervisor and a fire captain making this termination? They do this every day. Mm-hmm. You know, people respond to suicides. Yep. In their opinion, she had died more than an hour before they responded. Her time of death was later reported as being maybe between 7.20 p.m. and 9.41 p.m. 9.41? Yeah, isn't that strange? Yes. We know that she's, uh, rigor mortis is set in, she's cold and stiff, and the blood has literally already started to dry on her wrists, and they put it up to 9.41. It rubbed me wrong, too. Okay, yeah, I didn't like that. Betsy's wrists weren't just slashed. They were cut to the bone. Motherfucker. Like someone almost cut her hands off, cut oh, to the bone. Oh my God. Okay. If you are aware of what occurs during a suicide attempt, yeah, these no. are not that deep. Nope. It would be really hard to cut yourself yep. that deeply. Yep. Now we know people who've been in situations where there's adrenaline, where they had to cut their own arm off. Right. right? Yeah. But it takes them a hell of a long time to get up to that point. You got right? it. And all your instincts, your survival instincts go yes. against your, but you doing that. Correct. And on both arms, both, both, both wrists, both come wrists. on, which means she would have had to have used one injured wrist to cut the other at some point. One in wrist time. cut all the way down to the bone, then using that wrist to cut the other one no. down to the bone. No. And then we have a knife in her neck. Mm-hmm. A knife had also sliced into her skull, mm. plunged into her left eye. And then lacerated her throat where it remained lodged, severing her right carotid artery. Yeah, no, she didn't do that to herself. 
No. No. And Charnel, this was very obvious to first responders. Was it obvious from the position that she was laying or? It was obvious as soon as they saw the injuries that this was no suicide. Oh, yes. I meant the, like the eye, the skull, no. all of that stuff. Okay. No, that I'm, wasn't. I'm thinking of it from Russ's perspective where he clearly did not. He just he saw did blood. Not move her. Right. So like, could he have seen the extent of her injuries and not to get too graphic here, guys, but um, when there is a lot of blood, it can be very difficult to actually see where the wound and injury is coming from. Correct. And recall, I said the blood had already coagulated, coagulated. on mm-hmm. her scalp and was drying. Yes. So it would have potentially been hard to see a puncture wound in or through the eye. Right. 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 So there was a second knife found also under a pillow on the couch that she had been laying on previously. Really? Yeah. Okay. And, and that's all that comes up with that. Just there had been a second knife found. And hmm. these are the knives. They're black-handled kitchen knives that he identified. They're in their They're kitchen. their knives. They are their knives. Russ had told 911 that Betsy had killed herself. Responders were in disbelief. It was obvious they were at a crime scene. Mm-hmm. Now, just to continue with what you had mentioned, most of the stab wounds on Betsy were hidden by her clothing. Mm-hmm. But I just want to let you know, there were deep, deep punctures in her abdomen area mm. and her lungs, liver, and spleen were all perforated. Wow. And she was laying on her stomach, correct? I, or does it not I really was not indicate? able, so there's reasons that I wasn't able to get that specific information in which I will get to uh, toward the end of okay. this. But um, it's possible she was kind of uh, half on her back, half on a side. Okay. Um, and that the part of her head that had been like stabbed and like the neck part was up. So if you can picture it kind of being on your side with the knife sticking out of, out yeah, of the yeah. neck. Okay. So Betsy, all in all, had been stabbed 55 times. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't remember that from previous. I mean, you know, sometimes details get fuzzy when you haven't heard a case in a while. I listen to a lot of them. Oh, I'm trying to give you more details than you've heard. Yeah. Oh, you already have for sure. But wow. The house was terribly messy. Now I'm going to jump in before I even explain what happened, but can you picture too? Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. He's been home alone over Christmas for three days. He's working. (laughs) He's a man. I mean, sorry, fellas, but you ain't always the cleanest. And she's been in her mom's. Yeah, exactly. So some of what I'm about to describe doesn't bother me. Yeah. So especially this first part, there were crusty saucepans in the sink. Sure. Okay. And shopping bags and Christmas decorations. But the um, Christmas decorations that bothered me a little bit was they were kind of scattered all around Betsy's body, indicative of perhaps uh, a struggle. Yeah. A search of the home was completed by law enforcement and thrown in the back of Russ's closet was a pair of slippers made of tan suede that were bloodstained. So bloodstained the top of one of the shoe's right toe area and the right side of the slipper was stained and ran along one side of the other slipper as well. Okay. It's almost like they touched. touched. Mm-hmm. Chris Hollingsworth, Lincoln County Sheriff's deputy, was the first officer on the scene. So we know that, um, of course, EMS had arrived and such, but he was the first officer. He stated Russ was visibly upset, but was having a hard time producing tears from his eyes. So all of the hysteria that we heard, he indicated no waterworks came with it. No panic water came with it. No, I've heard that. I love that. I love it. 
He was described as being in a state of panic, speaking of panic water, and having difficulty talking and breathing. And in that 911 call, we heard him moaning, no, no, over and over again. And then, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. The operator was trying to calm him down. Um, and he was trying to be compliant with her, in my opinion, right? He just was yeah, in, yeah. His, in his head. When Deputy Hollingsworth sat Russ in the patrol car, um, he tried to distract him, talking about the neighborhood, and Russ started chatting normally with the deputy and even laughed. Okay. Calm down completely, starts laughing about stuff neighborhood-wise. Okay. This rubbed police wrong and caused them to be suspicious. You know, this doesn't bother me. Is okay. that okay if I say It is okay. That? It is okay. It doesn't bother me. I have, I've done this same thing, guys, with people whose children I've removed. We've went from a state of panic and hysteria to then a state of of de-escalation and calming down and redirecting the brain and honestly the body going into survival mode and if something strikes you as funny there's even things that like you wouldn't ordinarily laugh at that all of a sudden you're laughing at you because you're in some people uncomfortably laugh yes and they make you nervous because they're laughing and you find it uncomfortable but they can't help it right and I have been in a place before where I have been uh, hysterical and not crying, making crying sounds, but actual water coming out of my mouth or my mouth. That too, <laughs> that hasn't happened. Chanel drools but when yes, she cries. Yes, I, my panic water comes out of my mouth. <laughs> um, so funny without producing tears. Right. Honestly, that really does happen to people. It takes a lot for actual tears to come out of of my body. <clears throat> but sure. I, but you can see my emotions and you can you know feel them before my body actually produces the panic water. So law enforcement in this case, Janelle, they indicate then that anytime Russ was alone for a few minutes or you Mm -hmm. didn't talk to him for a couple minutes, then presumably reality flooded back and his emotions would surge over the top. Okay. Okay. So not just like crying or, or, you know, uh, the little moaning stuff, but like the over the top. And we heard the hysteria on the 911 tape. So we can see this from two perspectives. The police might be seeing this as this is all a fucking act. They said this was very suspicious too. rubbed whoever it was, whichever police officers there were completely rubbed the wrong way by Russ's behavior. Okay. Or it can be seen another perspective of just, um, yeah, like you said, Everything just came flooded back. There's no one there to distract him. And his body takes over to the hysteria. People calm down when you're interviewing them usually. When you're asking questions. When you're giving them a specific task to think about and process and and tell you. Which was why the 911 operator was trying to give him a job to do by finding those meds. All right. This part rubs me in a weird way. Okay. One of the detectives asked Russ why he hadn't embraced his wife. Apparently this is something that bothered the police officer that he hadn't hugged or embraced his wife. Can I note... Trigger alert, because this is very graphic. She was lying lifeless with her tongue hanging out and a knife sticking out of her throat. Yeah. Guys. I love my spouse. Me too. But if he's laying there like that, I'm not hugging him, Charnel. No, me neither. Megan, me neither. Also, we both know not to disturb a scene, whether it's a suicide or not. I'm not going to touch anything until I know police are coming. But I don't think that that is an expected reaction that you should be that it should be asked as an interview question that means that held no bearing to me well and this wasn't during the interview I don't think I believe this may have been at the scene okay still it wasn't still, specified to be honest I with don't, you 
But I don't like the question. I don't like that question. No either. offense to the means- officer who asked. I think there was a reason he asked it. And I think probably it was because he wasn't liking the response yes. he was getting. He was feeling uncomfortable. Most definitely. And maybe that officer would have immediately run it. Well, he's a police officer. Now, if a police officer runs in and sees their spouse or somebody laying on the floor, they might go right over to him and touch him and maybe, grab a hold of him. Maybe. And start CPR and do all of those right. things. But you you can't base your, what you think you would do in this situation on projected onto others and, and use it as an analysis what an tool, expert right? Would do base, base, um, it, what an expert would do in comparison to what a reasonably prudent, normal, common person would do are very different. Absolutely. And they actually can be held to different standards for purposes of negligence and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, neighborly assistance type of things. So... They get Russ down to the police station. This is normal, by the way. Yeah. He, he's not oh, yeah, under yeah. arrest. Definitely. When Russ is at the police station, he's in the interview room. And as you and I are aware, detectives will come and go. And there are times when a suspect is left alone in the interview room. So there's a pinhole camera that records him while he's in the room. And he's whispering during the times that police leave, no, and seeing Betsy and sobbing and praying. However, during the 10 hours of interrogation, he completely held himself together and repeated over and over once they started to get into the um, accusatory part. I wasn't there. I didn't kill her. Mm -hmm. Russ was taken for a polygraph the next afternoon at the Lake St. Louis police station. Detectives told Russ he failed and their tones at this point completely switched to accusatory. Russ, so did they give the, the next day? The next day. I, I guess physiologically I have an issue with that. Oh, girl, we're going to get into it. Okay. You All are right, not good. the only person who had a problem with this. Okay. Russ repeated that what he saw when he got home is how he found Betsy, that he simply walked in the door and found her like that. And one of the detectives looked at Russ, point blank stated, you killed your wife. I don't like that. So... Pam Hop, uh, who had dropped her off, her friend, she was interviewed and more information came out. Betsy had apparently made it um, noted recently that she wanted to move back to Lake St. Louis closer to her parents, chemo, tennis, and her friends. And she had told other friends this too, mm-hmm. Charnel. Mm-hmm. Betsy had planned to move her and Russ into her mom's old house in that area. She told Pam per Pam's conversation with detectives that she, Betsy, planned to test the idea of moving on Russ that evening and that she knew he was going to be furious. Pam said she felt guilty even dropping Betsy off to deal with this conversation with Russ alone, uh, but Betsy insisted. Um, Pam told the police that Russ had a violent temper and that Betsy had been scared of him. I believe the word she used was, he was verbally not very nice to her. Mm. She also claimed that Russ was a heavy drinker with that violent temper and that when Betsy had considered leaving him, he had threatened her. Okay. To top it off, Russ was considered, in some people's opinions, to be playing that role-playing game that I told you about. Dungeons and Dragons? Well, it was called a role master. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they consider that a dark fantasy style uh, type of, of game um, where perhaps... 
I mean, let's just be honest. They're saying somebody took something that was in a game that was dark and brought it to real life. Kind of like a, a make the fantasy okay. real. Is this thing. is this blaming vid- like blaming video games I mean, for all of our troubled youth? Kind of, which mm-hmm. is why every time I see a mushroom and I'm running under blocks, I grab it immediately so I can grow. <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mario. Ah, uh, Mario. There was also a history of Betsy and Russ's marriage being rocky and that Russ would be alternately calm and then hysterical even throughout uh, the marriage. So he could be a calm guy and then sure. when he would get pissed during the argument, he would become, uh, he would take to hysterics. So then that would coincide with his reaction. These are his... You're so um, smart. It's like you're an investigator. You know, like this, this goes with, he has emotional regulation issues. Yes. All right. So at the behest of Hop. She was convinced that Russ had been escalating in his violent behavior toward Betsy. Toward Betsy. Um, she thought the police should uh, search Betsy's laptop. Um, there was something about an, an email uh, that um, was supposed to have been sent. And remember, this precipitates um, the uh, signing over of the insurance policy mm-hmm. beneficiary. Do you ever get... Leery when someone suggests to the police where their investigation should go next. I feel like law enforcement should be worried when someone suggests to them how to do their job. Yeah, yeah. But she is concerned for her friend and is indicating that um, Russ is violent and that there may be evidence. Can I ask you right here and now, was there anybody else to cooperate those statements about Russ? In terms of the violent behavior? Yeah, and the trouble, you know, the issues with... Um, issues with the marriage, yes. Okay. Violence, no. That's what I was... And drinking um, problems? I believe that there had been an indication from her daughters later that that had been some of, part of an issue. And the daughters, and I just want to note this because it wasn't in... It's not in my notes, but I did see someplace. They had started staying with their grandparents down in that that Lake St. James... Or Lake St. Charles area where she... No, Lake St. Louis, for Christ's sakes, <laughs> area <laughs> where um, where she was staying with her, with her mom. Okay. But I don't think they had any real issues with Russ. I'm going to be honest. I think he was kind of a child. Yeah. He didn't have kids of his own. He obviously does the gamer thing with his friends. Yeah. Um, and he married the girl who had the DJ business and was fun and, yeah. and those type of things. They had had... The, confirmed some marriage issues finances had been a concern in terms of 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 russ um he did accumulate quite a bit of debt when he went back to school during their marriage and he went and got this it degree um so he had that kind of hanging out there like he owed all this money Mm -hmm. his wife was terminally ill i was gonna say now his wife is dying correct um but i think that since her diagnosis especially with the escalation of the cancer her girls were even had even noted at one point um, that Russ had been being great. Okay. Like thing, and Betsy okay. had said things were going great. So in terms of corroborating any escalating violence, I think it's the opposite. Um, most of Betsy's other friends, at least ones who she had confided in, said that things were going pretty good right there. Okay. She was concerned about asking him to move. Sure. But there was no indication that he would be furious. Yeah, it was, that's not a, con- you that, know, that doesn't speak out to me. Like, I think anybody's going to be concerned when you're like, hey, I want to kind of upheave yeah. our life well, a little bit more than it already is right now. This is also Russ's home. Yeah. He owns it. Um, 
I think Pam Hupp says at one point in time that he wouldn't even put her name on it. Like Pam was upset for Betsy that like it was his home and she wanted to go back home to her home parents' hometown, to her hometown. Essentially spend the rest of her life living that out. Close to the things that Mm -hmm. she loved, close to, and also close to her treatment. They do a search, excuse me, police do, of Betsy's laptop and they find a document where she does express, so in terms of corroboration, she does express fear that her husband might kill her. So I'm going to read it to you. That's convenient. It it is, and and you're just going to have to be patient. Okay. This is the uh, document found on the computer. Pam, I know we talked about this yesterday. Oh, it was to Pam. To Pam. Shut your face. Okay. (laughs) Pam, I know we talked about this yesterday, but I feel I really need you to believe me. I really do feel, don't giggle. I, I really do I'm sorry. feel. I know we talked about this yesterday, but now I'm going to put it in writing so that other people can see. So when, when she tells the police, it corroborates that they had this conversation and she's putting it in writing. Okay. 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 I really do feel that Russ is going to do something to me. Last night, Wednesday, he asked me why I came home instead of staying at my mom's. I told him I had things to do. He was very angry with me for being in the house. I couldn't figure out why. Then I caught him with my laptop. He was reading my emails. When I asked him about it, he said he could do what he wants. He said, I won't be around much longer, so what do I care? He continued to tell me how much money he would make after I die. He has been talking like this for months. He wants me to stay at my mom's. He likes the house to himself. He tells me it's his house and I'm just a guest. Right now I stay at my mom's, Linda's, or a friend's for most of the week. I was home last night and have to go back on Friday for the weekend. My mom has a friend staying with her from out of town, so I don't have a bed to sleep in. Last night was the worst. I fell asleep on the couch while watching TV. I woke up to Russ holding a pillow over my face. I didn't know what was going on. I broke loose and started to scream at him, asking asking him what he was doing. He said that he wanted me to know what dying feels like. I need to change my life insurance policy out of his name, but can't let him know that I have taken him off as beneficiary. I need your help with this. I can't give it to my girls because they will blow it. Do you think I could put it in your name and you could help my daughters when they need it? I really need to talk to you about this. I am so tired from the cancer. I am so afraid of staying out in Troy alone with Russ. If something happens to me, would you please show this to the police? Now, I do want you to know that after this, um, Betsy did voluntarily sign over the uh, the form mm-hmm. the, as a beneficiary. Mm-hmm. And it is her signature on mm-hmm. the beneficiary forms, mm-hmm. just in case anybody wondered. Right. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So just tuck this in your back pocket because oh, we're going to come back to it. It's so far in my back pocket, I can't even sit down. Okay. Betsy's funeral was on January 3rd, 2012. And Russ attended, Betsy's family was highly upset. Mm-hmm. They were sure that Russ had killed Betsy. Okay. And that his violence toward her must have increased because mm. this is the information that they have. Well, right, right. Now, earlier in the relationship, apparently, and this is where I got some of the information I think regarding from her family, Russ would scream at Betsy. Okay. And I think that there was one or two incidences where he may have threatened some type of physical violence there's no 
report, no history, no criminal actions that I could see where anything had actually been reported. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen, everybody. I know that not every DV gets reported. Of course. And Russ had apparently had some uh, temper issues before. Mm -hmm. On January 4th, which is the day after Betsy's funeral, Russell Faria was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action. His bail was set at $250,000, and he was held in the county jail until his trial began on November 18th, 2013. Okay. Media reports immediately hit, stating things like, marital problems lead to stabbing death of Lincoln County woman. Uh, Okay. Reports of Betsy's fear of Russ are quoted in multiple sources and in these newspapers, including that she had been trying to leave him. Okay, even though we really don't have any evidence of oh, that. This is, she was wanting to move this, closer to her family this with is, him. Yeah, this is the information that the police have. Yeah. And so sure. um, while they, during an active investigation, are not going to release all the information, they have certainly give statements. Mm-hmm. So the media comes, they ask for this, the press release, this is the information that's given. So Russ Faria's cousin had actually hired a defense attorney for him by the name of Joel Schwartz to represent him. Joel was described as roguish and whip smart. And his cousin, uh, Russ's cousin, actually remembered Joel from a brief stint working as a legal secretary. So Joel Schwartz must have stood out to her. Yeah. And let me tell you this much. If you do any research, Joel Schwartz will stand out to you, too. This is a very intelligent man. Um, I don't think I give defense attorneys enough credit sometimes. I think people assume because I was a former prosecutor that my heart always lays with the prosecution. I can assure you with my current job, that is not the case. Yeah. I remain neutral. This guy's cool. Yeah. He's like Chester Cheeto. Okay. <laughs> okay. Smart. I so. don't dislike all the defense attorneys who cross-examined me. No. I mean... Only some. You know how to deal with them, though. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Joel here, Schwartz, he starts... I'm going to call him Schwartz for the rest of this. Yeah, I like it. It sounds cooler, really. It is. It's awesome. Like, from Spaceballs. Let yeah. the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> Schwartz started reviewing police reports and was in disbelief that the police weren't looking into Pam Hop in more detail. Sure, sure, sure. Instant. Right. Right. In preparing his defense of Faria for the upcoming trial, he noted that Pam Hupp was the last person to see Betsy alive. And four days earlier, she had been made the sole beneficiary of Betsy's life insurance policy. This is like investigation 101. I don't mean to be a dick, but like the last person to see her alive. I'm just giving you my objective explanation of this story and you subjectivize it as much as you like. Okay. She was the last person to see Betsy alive. The beneficiary thing happened four days earlier, as I indicated. In his opinion, Betsy had given the police multiple versions of the events from the day Betsy died, and he didn't feel that she had a solid alibi. Mm -hmm. Russ Faria had an alibi. Mm -hmm. In fact, he had four solid alibis in the form of people swearing he had been with them all evening and left at 9 p.m. Right. His drive home would have taken 23 minutes without any type of stops, like anything uh, major taking up his time. And there was a crumpled food receipt in the back of his SUV. Some people say it was in the side on the floorboard. I don't know which is true. But irrespective, there is a crumpled Arby's food receipt. Right. Time stamped 9.09 p.m. Collaborating the fact that he had the munchies and needed to get himself a beef and cheddar. A junior beef and cheddar. Oh. Two of them. And Schwartz's <laughs> so, research. Is that really no, any better? No he judgment. He should have just got a big beef and cheddar. <laughs> 
makes me feel better about yourself when you eat two small ones. <laughs> the light ones. Like sliders. Dude, just eat a hamburger. Right. By the time you eat six freaking buns, you've just <laughs> gone over your cal- exactly. cal- caloric intake. In, uh, uh, sorry, in Schwartz's research, if Russ made it home in exactly 23 minutes with no delays, he would have had nine minutes to stab Betsy 55 times and clean himself up before calling 911. Right. There was not a speck and of blood. have all the blood coagulate and her body stiffen and yes. go cold. You are just going to love when I get to this trial. <sighs> there was not a speck of blood on Russ's body, yeah. fingernail clippings, or his clothing. And he was still wearing the orange t-shirt and Sonoma brand jeans that he was seen wearing on a security camera earlier that night when he put gas in his car, bought cigarettes, and stopped for them snapples. Yep. The police and prosecutors, on the other hand, were suspicious of Russ's activities. He purchased cigarettes at the U-Gas in Wentzville, mm-hmm. got gas at a different filling station where he purchased the smokes. They questioned that Russ appeared to be creating an alibi by getting caught on camera on the surveillance systems at these locations. Or maybe he just knows that his smokes are on sale or cost less at this gas station. Are you reading my mind? No, but like common fucking sense. I do this shit all the time. Russ could explain all of this to his attorney. He always bought his cigarettes at the U-Gas in Wentzville because they were 60 cents cheaper than the Canoco where he got gas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, I, I don't think anybody else has pointed that out in anything I've re- read about this case. So and, nice job, friend. Thank you. And he always got dog food at Green's Country Store in Lake St. Louis. Yep. I get mine at the same place every time. Why? Too. Why do you do it? Because I like their prices. Okay. That's why. How about this? They have lived there prior and he had a rewards card. Oh God, that's true too. I do have a rewards card where I get yeah. mine. So oh. you, you, right. So this is why he went to all those different places. Sure. Also, Russ did his errands before 6 p.m. when Betsy was still alive. Yeah. And we know Betsy was still alive then because at 7.05 p.m., Betsy actually left a holiday greeting on Mark Hupp's voicemail. So when Pam and she are coming back, they call Pam's husband, Mark, and are like, Merry, Merry hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Mark. Okay. And Betsy's on there. She can be heard on there. We know she's still alive at at Mm 7.05 p.m. The prosecution had some strong evidence in their opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being fair. I'm being fair here. I wish people could have just seen your face, though. I just, I love you. I love you, too. The presence of blood on Russ Faria's slippers. Schwartz, this is, this is thing number one. Okay. Schwartz, however, was convinced that the slippers were used to frame his client. Yes. He wasn't wearing his goddamn slippers when he was going to play video games and watch movies with his friends. <sighs> no, I keep mine. I do keep mine by the door sometimes, though. Just, you know, take Some, my shoes yeah, off. Sometimes mine are. Yeah. But he told the assistant attorney on the case, a Nathan Swanson, it's clear it's not blood he walked through. And there's no spatter on the top, which he assumed there would have to be if he wore them when he killed her and stabbed her 55 times. Right. And then he said, you don't murder someone and then put on your slippers. No, no, that's really like got to be the last fleeting thought or you don't put them on prior to, you know what? I want to be comfy for this. Let me get my, uh, my Hugh Hefner slippers. Right. No. Pam Hupp had told investigators that she thought it was odd that when she was taking Betsy home, she didn't have her keys. So here's a new thing. Okay. And that Russ had told Betsy not to bring her purse to chemo. 
Betsy had. How does she know that Russ told her not to bring her? Well, Betsy had in fact not taken her purse to her parents when she went there for Christmas. Now, Russ explained to his attorney that he never told Betsy to leave her purse at home, but what had happened was they had gone all weekend, first to his parents and then to her sisters for Christmas with her dad. He said Betsy didn't bother to bring her purse. They're just going to these two Christmases, but then decided to end up staying at her mother's down there in that uh, Lake St. Louis area Mm -hmm. and spend Monday night. Right, so she didn't have her purse. Right. I don't take my purse to my mom and dad's house. Right. Unless I'm driving and need my license. Uh, right, I absolutely. Don't. And remember, she's not driving places right no. now. People are driving her places. Yes, exactly. And can we just pull out the fact that there is a such thing as chemo brain? Yes. And you just forget shit. There's also pregnancy brain. Yes. And there's also mom brain. Yes. And, and it, just Charnel brain, and which Megan is brain. terrifying sometimes. But mine you is know? beautiful yeah. in so many scary ways. Right. So when she's wanting to go home on Tuesday after chemo, remember, after not sleeping well, she hadn't slept well, Mm -hmm. she called Russ to tell him she didn't have her keys, and he told her he would leave the door unlocked. Yeah, perfect. Great solution. Problem solving. I read two different things. I didn't put this in here either, but I just want to bring it up because I think it's interesting. She did say those things to Russ, like, I didn't sleep very well, I'm coming home, you know, Pam's taking me home. Her mom wanted her to stay still. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, she didn't really want her to go, but she was like, well, Pam came all the way here to pick me up, so I'm going to go. Oh. And that is how the um, miniseries, it's called The Truth About Pam, by the way, now okay. that we know that Pam Hupp is a, an issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it was portray- portrayed in that documentary or in that miniseries. I didn't find much proof of that. Okay. Okay. Not to be rude to anybody at Dateline. I'm sure they investigated this far longer and have way deeper funds than I put into this. But in the research that I did, it would appear, and Betsy's last conversation in terms of evidence with Russ is that she wanted to go home because mom had snored the night before. Yeah. And mom very well maybe wanted her to stay because mom wasn't being kept up by her own snoring. Right. (laughs) Right. So in... I don't think that I'd be like, Mom, I have to go home because your snoring's keeping me Dude, up. I would. I, that, that's, you, a, you, that's a normal you, night for me. I'm like, would, if you don't stop snoring, I'm going to go sleep someplace else. Yeah, or but I you would can. just be like, Mama, I'm just ready to go home. Correct. So I'm going to go home. Exactly. Well, you you're know. nicer to your mom than your spouse usually. I mean, I am. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so again. The woman gave me life. She all did. right. <laughs> she did. Uh, 27 hours of labor, as I've been told a thousand times. She called Russ again to tell him she didn't have the keys. So to corroborate this, um, Rita Wolf, who is one of Betsy's best friends from high school, had actually talked to Betsy around 5 p.m. that day. And Betsy interrupted herself during the conversation, as you and I have both done, and blurts out in the middle of their chat, oh, crap, I left my keys at home. I'm going to have to call Russ and have him leave the door open. Yep. Okay. Russ's attorney, Schwartz, also had strong feelings about the failed polygraph. You excited? You ready for this? I am, because I, too, have strong feelings. His opinion was that no reputable examiner would have given an actual polygraph after someone had been up 32 hours and after they had been smoking marijuana. Amen. He wondered then... If we're talking about people, and he's not indicating this person wasn't reputable. He's saying if you were reputable, you wouldn't do this. He wondered then if it had been a faux polygraph. (gasps) Russ Russ could only explain to his attorney that someone sat in front of him with a laptop and asked questions. Um, what? Doing a faux polygraph, Charnel, is not illegal. 
I know. But they have to be disclosed. Yes. And Schwartz never received any discovery that there was one. And please explain to the people what discovery means from a legal perspective. Okay. So discovery is, it's the right to obtain any information that the other side has on you. Specifically in a criminal case, the prosecution has to turn over everything. Mm -hmm. Every piece of evidence, any exculpatory evidence, it all must come to the defense, so the attorney, so that they can prepare their defense. If evidence actually is not disclosed or in existence and withheld, motions can be filed and the evidence can either be thrown out or a case could potentially be dismissed if there is deception there in terms of withholding evidence. I could give a class on this, but I think that probably explains why Schwartz is like, I didn't get my discovery. Yeah. This has not come to me. It has not been disclosed. And I wanted you to explain that for the people because so often, as we were talking about TV dramas, so often we will see these dramatized things where they're like, well, your honor. The smoking gun. Yes. I just discovered this. I'm like, that's not allowed. No way. And so people might not realize that evidence is shared by both sides and has to be. Now, just let me interject that. If evidence comes up during a trial that is new, it could potentially come in as long as there is a motion and there is a conversation where everything is shared between the prosecutor and the other side has to see it first. You got it. And have an opportunity to comment on it. And the judge would make a ruling as to whether it's coming in. Right. Right. And I have seen it come in. Where they find that it is probative. Yeah, certainly. Um, more probative than prejudicial and necessary for the trial. But it's not just a, I'm going to give this evidence that no one else has heard before. And, right. And it's admissible in court and the jury hears it and there's no unhearing it. No. <laughs> right. So, they, okay. Thank you for pointing You're that welcome. out for everybody. So, again... Schwartz then, because he doesn't have anything information-wise on this, he asks for video and audio of the polygraph examination. Yeah. And then he's told the video camera wasn't working. Sure. Convenient. He never received any data from that polygraph. The only thing he was able to get was a consent form signed by Russ and the typed summary that indicated, quote unquote, there there were significant, consistent physiological responses indicative of deception. Russ had offered to take a second polygraph. This happens often, y'all. Either another state police poly in our, our situations or police poly or even an independent poly. But remember, polygraphs are not admissible in court. No. They are not. Mm-mm. They are more and of a tool. A reason. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're more of a tool. Uh, a prosecutor would use those themselves to determine whether there is deception and I should move forward with this case or, dude, this guy's passing everything. I'm not going to charge this. And a defense attorney may want that information or even have an independent polygraph done because they're concerned about what was asked in the state poly. I was always very particular about the questions and would assist in, in formulating the three questions that are asked uh, yep. with police. And defense attorneys do the same thing. So you have to be very careful about what you ask in in terms of the response you're going to get. And can we point out that he, you have that, you know, there is that signed document. This was a man that was willing to take a polygraph. He was. Multiple times as a matter of fact. He offered. I think that in itself can speak volumes. Well, Wes, when not only Russ, by the way, but all four of his alibis offered to Polly. Awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the Lincoln County prosecutor declined. Of course they did. Right, right. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Now, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Charnel has some opinions, guys. Mm. I'm just giving you the info. Mm. Now, Pam Hupp had cooperated with the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office fully 
She offered DNA, fingerprints, and even at the time, um, even the time of her trash pickup. I think that was to establish an alibi. I just found it weird. Offered the time of her trash pickup. I have fucking no idea when my garbage gets picked up. I I do. Well, it gets picked up before 7 a.m. on Monday because when I head out the you know driveway and go, son of a bitch, I forgot I to didn't put it out now. there. <laughs> when detectives arrived to her home on December 28th and told her that Betsy had died, Pam was just stepping out of the shower. So she's wearing clothes, but her hair's wet and stuff. She told investigators that she had dropped Betsy off at her home in Troy around 7 p.m. And then she drove home and watched TV with her husband, showered, and went to bed. She did explain that she showered routinely both in the morning and evening. Mm-hmm. Pam told officers that she dropped Betsy off the night before and that the house looked creepy. It was all dark, but with the doors unlocked. She thought, what the fuck? She thought Russ was home early because there was a silver Nissan Maxima in the drive. Apparently, this is one of their vehicles. She mentioned it multiple times to the point that when they asked her what she was driving that night, she said a silver Nissan Maxima. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which she was not driving. Tame was, your tits, It was chick. a car west God. Right. Now, here it gets interesting. Pam said she didn't go inside when she dropped Betsy off. Then she said, I just went in and turned on the hall light. Then she said she went all the way back to the bedroom because Betsy wanted to show her a jewelry cabinet Russ got her for Christmas. All the way back in the bedroom where the slippers were thrown in the closet. Pam said that when she left the house, Betsy was all snuggled up on the couch in a blanket. And later Pam said she may have still been on the couch, but today it makes more sense that she walked me to the door. Oh, just today. Just today. It makes more sense that I think she actually wasn't snuggled on the couch. She walked my ass to the door. I don't really, I don't really know. I'm giving you the evidence. Mm. Pam also told the police that she called Betsy to quote unquote, tell her I was home, but then corrected the statement and said, well, to tell her I was almost home in court at the Faria trial. And I'm not to the trial yet. So I'm jumping ahead, but I just want to insert this now for Mm -hmm. clarification. Pam testified that she'd called when she got to the highway interchange because that meant she was home free as in she knew the way home from there. Her uh, yeah, her cell phone records showed that she called at 7.27 p.m., mm-hmm. but she was still in Troy, the town Betsy lived in. She said she had reached a fork in the road, so she pulled over to make the call. Per Pam, Betsy didn't answer or call her back. Well, she's Uh, Pam further testified that she texted Betsy and got no reply. And then there's proof. She calls Betsy's mother and said that she's worried Betsy was mad at her for not staying. She said she was worried about Betsy's mental state as she was supposed to find out the next day if her chemo was working. I believe that's true. Mm -hmm. Betsy's mom also tried to call Betsy and got no answer because she was dead. Right. Interesting how she pulls mom into this. Uh-huh. Like, I'm concerned about Betsy right here and now after I've dropped her off. Yes. Interesting. Pam stated that she went to bed after that. So the accounts that Pam gave. She showered. Were she and then did, went to She bed. did. Because mm-hmm. that's her routine. wonder what color that water was. <laughs> yeah. We could only guess. Yeah. The accounts that Pam gave were jotted down by detectives and they left. They did return the next day to question her husband, Mark. Strangely, Pam was allowed to stay for the interview with Mark. What the I'm, heck? I'm just telling you the facts, and I understand that you're going to have some feelings about this, knowing how investigations I are conducted. I feel this right to the taint, girl. Like, this is not <laughs> settling well. It's so well. pokey. Um, it is. Mark reported. It's so pokey. <laughs> 
Mark reported he had. I'm not trying to make light about no, the situation, this is you guys. How we and, and again, cope. I'm going to clarify that Charnel's commentary is Charnel's commentary. I am simply giving you the objective facts as I have been uh, researched. Mark reported he'd been home alone on the 27th and that Pam had called to let him know she arrived at Betsy's, but his cell phone was left in the truck. Okay. So he's like, well, she called me to okay. let, to that, let me know, but I didn't actually find that out till later. Cause I left my phone in my truck. Typical right. man. Yeah. Then Pam completely takes over the conversation and starts talking about how Betsy was afraid of Ross, that he was a huge drinker and that he had given her a cloudy Gatorade for a workout and it smelled terrible. So she'd spit it out. She also said he was degrading to Betsy and kept talking about how much money he would get when she died. This is when she disclosed that Betsy said she had written her an email. I was just going to say, that sounds suspiciously like the email. About how scared she was of Russ and how he'd put a pillow over her face and said that was what it felt like to die. Pam said she never got the email. So they, she and Betsy, tried to print it out, but they couldn't connect Pam's printer to Betsy's laptop. Mm -hmm. Pam asked them to look for the email, but then corrected herself and said, the document. Faria's attorney, just again, tucking in the back pocket. Faria's attorney, Schwartz, went over Pam's ever-evolving accounts of the events. That is his words and opinion. Mm -hmm. First, she thought she had seen a silver Nissan sedan. Then she said it might have been Faria's big blue Ford Explorer SUV. That's a very different vehicle. Whatever car she thought Russ was driving, she'd say she saw in the drive. Yeah. He was driving the SUV, by the way. Okay. And why shift... This is Schwartz reasoning. Why shift from I didn't go in to I did go in to I went in and went all the way to the back bedroom? Yeah. Basically, in defense attorney Schwartz opinion, Pam Hupp was placing herself everywhere. There was potential evidence Correct. to be found. It's exactly. I knew <laughs> like, it was. Like when I said, oh, you mean in the bedroom where the slippers were? That's exactly my thoughts too. I'm with Schwartz. <laughs> I told you you're going to like him. Yeah. The major case swad of Greater St. Louis had swabbed Pam for DNA, but Schwartz saw no record of that DNA being compared. And when did they swab her? Um, I believe that for, she offered that the first time they went and interviewed her. Okay. No one even confirmed that Pam had worn what she said she had worn that night. And to his knowledge, no one ever searched for or tested the clothes Clothing. or her car okay. for blood. I was going to ask that. Yeah. No. All right. Pam had called both Mark and Betsy when she left Betsy's house that night because she was nervous about finding her way home. He, well, I was. I wanted to ask about that too. Yeah, hasn't she driven from her friend's house to her home multiple and as times? You are channeling the thought process of Attorney Schwartz. She had been there quite a few times, including the previous week. So this was odd. Yeah. to him. Schwartz asked other common sense questions too. <laughs> Note, these are not at trial, by the way. He's asking these as he's preparing a defense and conducting his own investigation. Yeah. This, is, this is the mind of a defense attorney going through yep. his client's Makes case. Makes sense. If you went out of your way to drive your friend home just so she could get some sleep, why would you bother calling when you were just a few miles from her house? My next question, too. Okay, good. And if she didn't answer your call and you knew she was exhausted by chemo and coming down with a cold, wouldn't you think she just wanted to sleep? Yes, Yes. But what, you call her is, mom and tell her you're worried about her? Right. No, she's not worried about her friend in that moment if she's calling, knowing she's probably waking her up. Your friend is tired from her chemo. She doesn't care if you got home safe or not. Absolutely. So at this point in time, Ross Faria explains his knowledge of Pam and Betsy's friendship to his attorney. He said that over the last year, they'd started hanging out. He liked Pam. He thought she was sweet and friendly. And... 
it wasn't though until Betsy was diagnosed with cancer that they really became close. Mm -hmm. He did add that a lot of people wanted to be with Betsy. She was well liked um, with dear friends. And and you're going to see just all these people who love her. He said he didn't have any issues with Pam and that she was super easy to talk to. But he could name at least six other people that Betsy was closer to. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) Pam never mentioned to police at first about the life insurance policy. Note that. Oh, really? Later, she told the police that there had been a change of beneficiary form, but she had no idea if Betsy had ever even mailed the form in. Hmm. But true to this woman's ability to flip more than a pancake spatula, (laughs) she then on January 17th told State Farm that they'd gone straight to the post office because Betsy wanted to make sure the form was postmarked. Oh, my God. State Farm then, Charnel, does their job. Yeah. They report to the police Good. a Detective Sergeant Ryan McCarrick the same day. He assured State Farm that Pam Hupp was not a suspect so the company could pay out the life insurance proceeds. What? Your face is priceless right now. What? Shut your Listen, face. State Farm had recorded that change of beneficiary the morning of Betsy's death. <gasps> Schwartz even no. mused to himself. This is Schwartz doing his investigation. Sure. If Pam was the murderer, she was cutting it close. I'm saying. Pam even told the police, if it's mailed Friday, we had Christmas. She had to be killed. How does that work? She has to be killed or they have to receive it before she's killed. Otherwise, he's the beneficiary. So if I set it up in my own little mind, why didn't I just wait till Friday to make sure they got it? Oh, yeah. This is what she's saying. And Schwartz Boy, thinks, Pam, you've put a lot of thought into this. And God, you are channeling Schwartz. We should contact him so you two can <laughs> hang out. And Schwartz thinks, yeah, because this way you can implicate my client and you know where he is every Tuesday. Yes. Here's more shadiness. In 2011, Pam and Betsy, who knew that her cancer was terminal at that point, mm-hmm. collected money for another family affected by cancer. It was later discovered that that family was never made aware of any collection. Oh my God, Megan. Pam and Betsy went door to door passing out flyers and collected $10,000 for that (gasps) family. Betsy was happy to be leaving some kind of legacy, helping another family affected by the same disease that was killing her. Mm. She wanted to be remembered when she was gone. The flyer even had a picture of the Murphy family who was the family they were helping from their Christmas card and stated that this would be James Murphy's wife, Laura's last Christmas. Betsy, to everyone's knowledge, never knew of this scam and Pam Hupp never turned any money over to the Murphy family. Wow. And Laura Murphy, well, she did have cancer, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't on her deathbed at that time and she actually survived two more Christmases. Oh, good. Oh, The life insurance policy that Betsy made Pam the sole beneficiary on was a State Farm life insurance policy worth $150,000. Okay. Russ Faria had been the primary beneficiary until it was switched to Pam. Betsy had told Pam to hold on to the money and use it to make sure that her children were taken care of. This is true. After Betsy was murdered on December 27th of 2011 and up to the date of the trial, Pam had held on to that money and hadn't given any of it to Betsy's children. Of course children. not. Detectives did think that this was strange. Oh, just strange? Just strange? You don't have to have a detective license to think that that's strange. This attorney, Doug Charnel, at this point, not just a matter of defending his client, he truly believed Ross Faria was innocent. Sure. And that Pam needed to be investigated. Yeah. 
Defense attorneys almost everywhere will tell you they do not always believe their clients. Correct. They have to, they have a job to do. They do. He believed Russ yeah. from the moment he met him. This is probably different than some other cases he's, he's defended sure before. I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Schwartz dug for info on Pam's polygraph too. Remember, she agreed to one. Well, all of a sudden, past head injuries prevented her from having one. Oh, convenient, convenient. A doctor wrote a note indicating she could not undergo a polygraph because of medical. What are her past head injuries? Throwing herself against a wall? But when he was deposed later, the doctor, he said she didn't think she could do it and actually stated that there were no limitations or conditions to prevent her from taking one. Dear God. Detective Sergeant Ryan McCarrick said under his deposition that in his training and experience, he saw no signs of deception from Pam. Okay. Listen to this. I am trying to remain as professional as I can here. On Mm. March 20th of 2013, we're nearing the trial date. Schwartz deposes Pam Hupp. She's a witness. So uh, she can do this. Now we don't, I don't always cite um, things in here. Um, We wait until I, you know, get them all printed out for you. But this is done by extensive research from a lady by the name of Jeanette Cooperman. This article that she wrote, which we will link in Mm -hmm. the show notes, is fantastic. And she dug and got transcripts. And so this is from a transcript um, in the deposition of Pam Hupp by um, Attorney Schwartz. Okay. He says, what's your disability? I'm not sure what they classified as. I know I have drop foot and balance problems. It happened, she said, when she tripped at work and hit a filing cabinet with her head. This was in November of 2009. She said that she'd filed for workers' comp and that the case was still pending. The attorney, um, an attorney, Michael Goldberg, that must have been her her attorney, did not return messages seeking to confirm that she had retained him. So when okay. she said she hired an attorney and was going after him, that attorney never returned it can't any be messages. Confirmed. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that might just be client confidentiality. I sure. actually don't. Whoever you are, Michael Goldberg, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, right. Schwartz says, you have a head injury? Pam says, yes. What's your head injury? I have no idea. How do you know you have memory issues? Well, because you're asking me questions and I don't remember. Oh. Even after the oh, prolonged pam, 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 pam. jousting, right? Verbal jousting. Yeah. Schwartz was unprepared for what came next. She doesn't remember, but she remembers everything about the night where she was not killing Betsy. I have memory problems, but I can remember okay. all of these details. Shana, anybody who takes to watching either that miniseries or other documentaries on Pam, you are not going to love her personality as she is portrayed. Because this type of verbal jousting and just frankly that kind of laissez-faire sarcasm that she has, well, I may find funny in usual human circumstances, it didn't come across real well. Mm-hmm. Pam said she didn't have health insurance, couldn't afford it. She said she didn't have life insurance either. So I'm hearing money issues. Okay. This is what Schwartz can't believe. I don't believe in it for myself. Her husband, however, did have life insurance. And quote unquote, she says, and amazingly, he's still alive because it's a lot. Schwartz blinked and says, I'm sorry. She says, I said, amazingly, he's still alive because it's a lot. And I sold it to him. So he goes, what do you mean by that? She goes, I mean, I guess if I wanted a lot of money, I could kill him instead of her. He says, instead of who? She says, Betsy. Schwartz says, who said you killed Betsy? She says, you did, or your private detectives told my friends that. He says, and you didn't kill Betsy? I did not kill Betsy. 
You still willing to take a polygraph? No. And Charnel, that's why I'm going to leave you with part one. I have ith none of the words. Not a single one. Syllable. Uh, grunting. Utterances. That's all I have. Charnel caveman. Cavewoman. Yes. Me cavewoman. <laughs> Bring yeah. me meat. So Holy there we are. Shit. Um, and I'm... Those of you who are Patreons, you're going to to go listen to part two, yeah. but will you bathe me? We've had a list. We've had some listeners send us some really good shit lately. We have. We have. I'm going to bathe you. Thank you. But I want to give a little personal anecdote of an update because people have actually asked us on social media how it's going with me telling, just saying to my husband, Gumbo Yaya, whenever he mutters. Yeah. And he had stopped doing it for a while. Well, he has started and there's been some situations where he has, uh, he's just turned away from me and muttered mumbled. something, mumbled, and then kind of a little aggravated when I made him repeat himself three times because I couldn't yaya. hear his. And so I just started with, I'm sorry, did you say gumbo yaya? What? Huh? Gumbo yaya. The fuck is that? Isn't that what you just said? No, that's not what I just said. Well, what'd you just say? And then he'd repeat himself louder. Working. Enunciate. Working. It's working. Our gumbo yaya method is working. It is working. It's I'm brilliant. I'm here to tell you because then they'll correct you. No, I did not say gumbo yaya. Well, what did you say? And then they'll actually speak to you clearly and look at you, you while need, doing so. You need to use the other one too, the doodaloogle. Ah, yes. <laughs> doodaloogle. Uh, I'll try that one next. Because that's you and, and yes, I'm gumbo. Yes, and you're so. gumbo. Mm -hmm. yeah. I will try that one next. So I just wanted you all to know that little beta testing going on and it is working. We are true scientific minds and then over here. he asked me, where the fuck did you hear that? And I said, oh, I heard it on this podcast called Crime Curious. <laughs> what did he say? Fucking walked away from you me. You would know if you listened. Right. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going with that. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. Babe, me shower me, lady. Okay, this is from this is from our uh, Patreon, Jason. He posted it in the Patreon only group. I'm telling you, if you're not a Patreon, you're really missing out. We on love you, Australian shit. Jason. Oh, our Aussie friend Jason, and I just got to say, crikey, crikey, to this because this is from the Daily Mail, and it is titled. If I can find the title, hold on. <laughs> it is titled. Raccoon rescued after getting stuck to frozen railways railway by his private parts. <gasps> and my comment was, first of all, congratulations on having private parts big enough to get you stuck in a Especially dangerous situation. Especially a little raccoon. A little raccoon. Yeah, apparently he's you got know, some cojones. You know, we have, those of you who have just tuned in or started listening, you're going to have to go back about, I don't know, mm. two while. dozen episodes or so, um, because there was, there's been some raccoon incidences, and now it's like one of our mascots. Yes, we have raccoon merch simply because he comes up, the raccoon comes up a lot. Bad choice of words. It was. I didn't say goes up a lot. I said comes up. Two of them. In pairs. So this poor oh little raccoon, gosh. it's cold out. Yes. And presumably and he's been licking his genitals and because he's, they, they stick. Oh, God. The poor little fella is straddled the railway. And it says, freeze things happen. Chili raccoon becomes stuck to the railway by his testicle hair after temperatures plummet to negative oh. 12 degrees Celsius before railway workers freeze him using warm water and a shovel. Isn't that 
This, apparently, this uh, this Neil Mullis, a 35-year-old, found the traumatized animal and carefully freed him using warm water and a shovel. And I love... It, uh, it, the shovel part freaks me out a little bit. Like, I don't know if, if it didn't work out, they were gonna, like, we're going to put you out of your misery, no, buddy. I think that they were too scared to get their own hands in there Probably. for fear of them him scratching. So this was their solution, like, throw hot water on him and scrape them off I with the shovel. I prefer my own version because, gentlemen, if any of you accidentally got your genitals stuck to metal... Wouldn't you just want someone to hit you over the head with a shovel and put you out of yes. misery? Yes. And I was, please don't scrape those. Please don't scrape those with that shovel. One slip. One, one slip. slip and your life is different. I know. Yeah. No. It's a home vasectomy. It is. Yep. Not That is not the kind that you want. No. Never do a vasectomy at home. Uh-uh. Um, nope. Bad idea. But I, I liked that he, you know, they, he said, this is what his quote, quote, I poured the warm water under his bottom while a, co- while a co-worker worked the shovel under his butt to try and break him loose after about five minutes of slowly working him loose he was free he jumped off the rail and ran into the woods never looking back of course not his dignity is still on that railway that is why he did not look back don't we love how because this was a raccoon we're all like sympathetic but if that was a man we would have been super judgmental about him (laughs) well first of all if it was by his (laughs) testicle hair we've got a solution for that okay but this poor raccoon well that's your own fault for not manscaping yes anyway yes. yeah we would have been totally judgmental we would have so. but to a raccoon we're so sympathetic that's how we are though we're much more sympathetic to innocent animals than we are dumb ass humans absolutely yeah. so yeah oh, so Lord. stay tuned for uh part two of yep. uh the betsy faria lewis gumpenberger murders yes. which we're gonna get into i love more. your perspective here it is Thank it's you. it is a deep dive you dig it doing a fantastic job my friend i dig so. it i dug it it was in my brain for uh, about if, two months. If you want to join Patreon so you can get the next episode right away, the link is in the show notes. Go ahead and do that. Or you go won't to, be sorry. No, patreon.com forward slash crime curious. They get multiple episodes a week. Um, whereas you, we now make you guys wait seven days. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have to, we have to give the content to the people who keep us on air. You have to bear with my schedule somewhat too. So if you love Charnel, then you have, you have to love me too. We're a package deal. And uh, believe it or not, I'm incredibly busy. Yes. (laughs) So I spend my time on these for fun because you know, we all know with my position, I don't take any compensation. I'm doing this just because I love all of you. Yes. And and, And my husband says I'm happier. I believe that. Yeah. Yes, it's like therapy for First us. First of all, we like hanging out anyway. If you guys yes. can't tell, we are real life friends. We are not the type of friends who could potentially allegedly kill each other for the insurance money. No, no. First of all, I probably need to work on that considering what I do. I don't know that I'm worth very much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh shoot uh, but i think my husband might be yeah <laughs> so yeah. yeah absolutely um the facebook uh tw- yes twitter? follow us we yes twitter? we're on twitter we're on i the gotta twitter. learn to tweet i'm not instagram gonna, yep instagram we're all there or hey you can go over to crimecuriouspodcast.com we have a website there we are our merch is there beautiful it. faces are there yes and we are working on more merch too i kind of got a little bit of a snarky uh, email this morning about um we didn't have enough to offer yeah i mean it's you know we just we're just starting off oh, so we'll do um, and if you have like major requests and enough people want them we can make that happen right so. right yeah it's not a this isn't the only thing that's ever going to be offered like we will continue we are very busy people though and so we will we will get to accommodate y'all and it goes back into the podcast so well until next time then everybody keep it curious keep listening bye-bye are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year well i am here to help you friends 
You know, if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener, a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S dot com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaking. 